Welcome to episode 71. Do you love a bit of chocolate? Easter is about to happen. (laughs) How about ice cream? For me, my go-to are the good old cookies. But have you ever taken the time to note what is actually going on in your life at that particular moment that you reach for these types of food? And by these types of food, I mean sugar-heavy foods. Sugar addiction is a real thing, but as today's episode unravels, it is most often accompanied by a set of emotions that we might otherwise identify as bad, negative, or uncomfortable. So if you're a self-professed sugar addict and dive for these types of food after a bad day, after an argument, or just generally feeling shit about yourself, and if you want some insight as to what is going on here and some tools to be able to break this seemingly never-ending loop that you're stuck in then today's episode is for you. Also, throughout the show, I'll share an invite with you to the Quit Sugar Summit, which both myself and today's guest are speaking at in a couple of weeks' time. All right, time to dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are on another interview episode. It is my mission to coach 150 people to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want by the end of 2020. And if you like what you hear on these podcasts and want to be one of those people, please don't hesitate to reach out via social media or via the link in the show notes below. Okay, on to today's show. So, we have a return guest from the middle of last year, previously appearing on episode number 38, which I highly recommend you check out. It's a great episode. And we're discussing something today that affects almost absolutely everyone that you might know in your life and that is probably something that you've been struggling with for a very long time, whether you know it or not. Today's guest is Danielle Dame, who is a sugar freedom coach and speaker who is passionate about helping women reshape their relationship with sugar. As a certified holistic nutrition coach, Danielle uses her extensive knowledge in holistic nutrition along with coaching methods and personal experience to help her clients discover new ways of living and enjoying life without the control of sugar cravings and guilt at every single turn. Unfortunately, we have her here today to help us with the same challenge. So what's going on, Danny? How are you doing? Welcome back. Hey, Maddie. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back again and to be diving into this topic today. Me too. I love all the content you put out and we've developed such a great relationship since the first time we hung out together on a podcast. Yeah, we have. You know what? It's been well over a year since we first met actually back on a summit, right? Yes. And we're about to do another summit together as well. (gasps) Ooh, we might have to tell everybody more about that in a bit. (laughs) <laughs> so, for everybody listening, if you want to learn a bit more about Danny's personal journey and um, how she works with clients, I definitely recommend going over to episode 38. But today, we're going to deep dive on a more specific area of what Danny works with, and that is the emotional relationship with sugar, right? Yes. Yes. This is a big one. All right. So, maybe let's start with what your clients or what you see with clients or people that is sort of indicative of an emotional addiction to sugar. Mm-hmm. Great place to start off. Um, and I, I just love this topic so much. And you're going to, I mean, everyone listening, you're going to hear a lot more as our conversation goes on for sure. And I, I, I'm excited to dive deeper into, let's get deep today, Maddie. Let's do it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen. Essentially, for so many people, and I love how you pointed this out, Maddie, because so many people... Uh, myself included in this class, didn't realize that there was this emotional underlying 
um, you know, reason or connection to food and, and for most of us to sugar directly. Um, that really compasses everything that we do in terms of food. So what I see most, just to answer your question, you know, what I see most with, with my clients and really it's literally every single person, every single client I have this conversation with because every single one of us has this connection at some you know, level and has a relationship with food that is created around an emotional you know, situation. But what I often see is you know, as I work with clients and as I have conversations with people, it's really easy once you start looking for it to start seeing these patterns of you know, them or you maybe listening, right? Reaching for food every time a certain emotion shows up. So for so many of us, it's, I mean, it's a whole variety of things, right? It could be whenever you're wanting to celebrate, you're always having cake, right? Or maybe whenever you're stressed, you always reach for, you know, a, a donut or something else sugary, right? Um, or food in general. So you start to notice these patterns as soon as you have a really quick conversation um, with someone, this is what I notice, or as soon as I start getting my clients to start paying attention in their own life. Uh, it's really quick and really easy to just see this pattern show up um, for most people multiple times a day. And I assume that based on my own experience with clients and my own experience as a human in the world, I assume it's like a plethora of, of emotions that we have tied. Because when you say cake, I think celebration, but I also think things like, you know, something got fired from work or, you know, broke up with a partner or I had a fight. And that is a, often that that problem is either resolved or self-nurtured with a pizza and chocolate and ice cream. And so it's like, both sides of the conversation. It's like positive celebration and negativity are met with the same tool. Totally, totally. Um, and this is this is probably the a perfect time for me to introduce this. This is kind of how I separate it and, and explain it that I think is really um, supportive, at least for me. And let me know, Maddie, if I explain this, if this works for you. And everyone listening, let me know as well. Reach out. Uh, but there's actually two things going on because it literally, every single emotion is connected to uh, sugar cravings or food cravings for food. And I have spoken at events. I have shared that statement with thousands of people. And I've challenged everyone to tell me one emotion that is not connected to being a trigger or craving for food or sugar. And I've yet to have anybody actually come up with something. So <laughs> that's why I stand firmly and still saying that. And what's really going on. And I kind of separate them. Like there's these, these, we'll call them like good, happy emotions, right? You know, all those ones that we want to feel more of every day, you know, joy, happiness, celebration, um, those sorts of things, right? Love, connection, good stuff. Those emotions, um, we've been taught from childhood to connect to food. So right from the first time we breastfeed, we are taught that the sweetness of our mother's breast milk is love, it's connection, um, it's soothing. And as we grow up and in the society that we live in, we're taught over and over and over again, like you celebrate with food, you, you know, you, um, food gives you joy. Like we, we make all of these happy emotional connections, we'll call them. I'm, I'm using quotation marks, even though you can't see me. Um, these get connected to, to food. The second piece of that puzzle and, and kind of what you were mentioning as well, like, so those are all the feel good emotions. There's these not so feel good emotions that as a human, we feel multiple times a day. And if you're not 
let's have a conversation about that because it's important. We do. We're on a roller coaster all day. Uh, very few people are just purely stable joy all day long. We need an assortment of emotions, just like we need an assortment of vegetables in our diet to get everything we need. So, you know, these not so good emotions. Uh, a lot of people may resonate with them being called negative emotions. I personally do not use this term uh, because it perpetuates that they're bad. There's something we shouldn't feel. There's something that uh, we should get rid of. Um, and that is not the case. And that's actually the thinking that's getting us into trouble. So what I, what I call them is uncomfortable emotions. So these are things like stress, anxiety, depression, grief, sadness, you know, all of these emotions, another term that, that you know, listeners might resonate with is heavy. That's the one I kind of use these heavy emotions, like you can physically feel them in your body, even if you can't label them, right? You're just feeling heavy, you're feeling low. Um, you know, something's not right, right? It doesn't feel good in your body. So when it the case of those emotions, and this is kind of I'm sure where we'll dive deep even deeper in today. I mean, I know I'm giving a long explanation of this, but um, it's important, because this I think this piece that I'm about to just share right here is the root of every single addiction. And it is that, again, this all starts in childhood, in the society that we live in, and for, for many reasons, and we can talk about that later, we are not supported or taught how to be okay feeling these uncomfortable emotions. What we are taught, right, from the first time we fall down and scrape our knee, is to get the heck out of these uncomfortable emotions as quickly as possible. And usually that involves using food, especially for children, right? It's you scraped your knee, stop crying, let's have ice cream. It's the message subconsciously is it's not okay to feel these emotions. Let's get out of it and bring joy by having a hit of sugar or having a hit of food. So we're taught from this very young age to numb out. And usually it's to use food. I mean, as many people grow up, they might get into gambling or um, other addictions, right? Drugs. It's the same pattern of numbing out. It's not being comfortable, feeling out of sorts in your body. And we look for the quickest escape. And um, this is this is a bigger conversation, obviously, than than I'm sharing just today. But it's a conversation that I'm just so passionate. If you can't already tell in my voice, yeah, I love uh, it because it is literally at the at the base of everybody's. I'm going to say that. I'm going to stand firm in that every single buddy's uh, relationship with food, and you know, it can tie into all the areas of life. But this is such an important thing to understand that until we get back to uh, allowing ourselves and honoring, you know, the negative, uncomfortable emotions, we will never fully have the freedom from things like addictions, like sugar, or heck, if you're addicted to alcohol or gambling or other things as well. So. Uh, does that make sense? I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 deep and, and interesting that you know say that everybody has those experiences and has them rooted in that. And I assume it comes back to childhood. You mentioned you know all the way from your mother's breast milk. So like, what happens after the breastfeeding stage for children that seems to be universal, virtually universal, um, that results in people being addicted to sugar? Because sugar is obviously seemingly the gateway drug to a lot of other addictive problems in people's lives, whether they be healthy or unhealthy. And there's obviously ways to channel those that can actually be helpful for us. But what happens? What happens for most people when we're kids or when we're teenagers that goes so wrong? Right. Well, coming back to, to even what I just said and then building on that, but 
you know, it's as we're growing up, we're in these early stages of life where we're trying to understand the world and, you know, trying to understand how to talk and how to walk and how to, and we get all of our information in that stage from the world around us, right? From the society that we live in. And as human beings, like there's, there's so many signals that we get from the people around us. And I, I find this to be quite universal. I mean, I, I'm yet to go and study in all the different countries, but, you know, as a human tendency, you know, we don't want to feel bad and our parents don't want to see us feel bad. So, you know, soothing becomes the number one sort of goal, right? When a child is unhappy or when a child hurts themselves, um, we don't want to see them that way. So we've, we've been shown at least definitely here in North America, and I'm sure, you know, on your part of the world as well, you know, we've been shown that, you know, an amazing way to distract and to give ourselves a dopamine hit really quickly, cheaply and easily is to go for some ice cream or to have some candy or um, to, to get that by, you know, a sugar hit. And, and then we perpetuate, you know, that seemed to work, right? So if a mother does that, she sees the kids stop crying. The kid's happy again. The mother learns in that moment, like, wow, that worked. I'm going to do that again next time, right? I'm going to do that again next time that he's sad because look how well it worked this time, right? And I think it's just like a, a nurturing cycle that essentially gets us into a lot of trouble and is, is obviously very much um, supported by everything we see. I mean, look at look at any movie, right? And how it perpetuates, like whatever you get broken up with, from a partner, you need to go and eat ice cream. You need to binge eat on ice cream. Like every single movie shows a, the woman binging on ice cream um, as soon as she gets broken up with, right? And I guess men are taught to go and get drunk with their friends. Like if I'm thinking of the movies, right? Yeah, totally. They're definitely the, the generic categories. Right, <laughs> right. It's like the women go home and eat too much ice cream uh, to, to soothe themselves. And you just start paying attention. I mean, I hear it everywhere now that I'm hyper aware to these conversations and these patterns in our society. And it's not just in movies, it's an everyday conversation, right? When something bad happens, or you get a promotion and people say, Oh, let's go for drinks, or we should get champagne or because it's alcohol, you know, is, is another, you know, connection as well. So um, it's literally everywhere. And it, it just, it's just one of those things that that starts from childhood. And I, obviously with anything, the first place to start is, is really bringing this awareness into your own life. So as you're listening to this listeners, I, I hope that you're just introspecting about, you know, where this is showing up for you. And maybe if this was a pattern that that's hanging on for you. So at the core, we're really dopamine addicts. Totally. We're not, and sugar is just the sugar is just the tool to access more dopamine, which is just like why people open their smartphone a hundred times a day because of that little dopamine hit you get from human interaction. So, right. yeah, that's interesting. Well, it feels good, right? It does. I mean, it's it feels good to feel good. <laughs> so, more on the you said not to call them negative emotions, heavy emotions, um, or, or you know, ones that we're uncomfortable with. So, why do you think? our society, culture, families are set up in a way to not deal with them? Because there's definitely some cultures around the world that uh, have learned to manage those, but I feel the majority <laughs> definitely try and suppress and ignore and run away from them in whatever way they can and often destructive ways, whether to ourselves or to our relationships. So what, why do you think our society has formed this way? Mm, I love that. I love that question. And Absolutely. There are definitely, you know, 
cultures out there or, or tribes or groups of people that have, and even within our society, you know, there are parents that know what's up and, you know, have, have managed to, to navigate this. Uh, you know, I'll be that parent because I know what's going on. Right. Um, and, you know, it, what I just said definitely applies to this too. I think it's, it's as a society, like it's hard to watch a child be unhappy. So the parents, you know, are doing everything they can to make their child feel better. Um, I just think we don't have the, as a society, we've literally never understood the importance of honoring our emotions. And uh, without going too down deep, this rabbit hole, <laughs> um, but really, it's not productive to any business if you're allowed to really feel your emotions all day long. Like if you really honored, if you were angry or grieving or sad, it would absolutely, you know, affect our economy. Like at an actual uh, business level, if everyone was honoring, taking the space they needed, going for a walk when they were grieving instead of going to work, uh, can you imagine, you know, how efficient that would be in terms of running business and having employees and stuff like that? So, um, you know, it's, that for sure has, has been, you know, uh, supported, you know, and passed down to us to kind of, um, quote unquote, suck it up. I know even as a woman, this is what I was taught. Like, you know, I was told, Danny, you're too sensitive. Stop, stop crying. Like, take a deep breath and move on, right? Like this, uh, we're taught to really just bypass these emotions. And oftentimes, a lot of that is, you know, whether it's your parents or a friend that you're with, it's quite inconvenient to the people around you if you're having a, you know, a heavy emotional moment, right? Like if you're just feeling really depressed and sad and you need a good cry, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, at, at our core, you know, we're looking out for our best interests. And if that's affecting, you know, my employees work or that's infecting my team members or my partner, you know, isn't then able to cook me dinner because she's depressed um, or whatever, you know, it's, it becomes inconvenient for, for a lot of people that don't understand what's going on. And I think that that's definitely a piece of this puzzle as well in terms of why, why our society really just wants us to, to stuff our emotions down. And this is what we've, you know, all kind of jumped in on because then we're able to function, right? And even, even personally, you know, we want to be able to go to work. We want to be able to be productive every day. Um, and when we're grieving, like you can't do that. <laughs> if you're deep in that, you you just, you know, can't get off the couch, right? You just can't get on with things. So yeah, right. Uh, we we want so badly to, to show up, to be productive. And, and that's a conversation for another day about how that our society wants us to be productive. But, you know, it, it's, it's kind of in, quote unquote inconvenient to really honor your feelings. So what's more convenient is to pretend to be happy, put on a brave face, take a deep breath and go out the door and go to work, go to your party, ignore it, right? So we've been ignoring these heavy emotions for years. And you can actually even look into, and I'd be curious, Maddie, if you've ever done that, but um, there is even science coming out now. And I know Gabor Mate does some work around this about how this continual stuffing down, we'll call it that, or, or numbing out or putting a lid on these emotions without actually allowing yourself to process them, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, actually leads to physical disease. So they're, they're, they're proving links now to, to things like Alzheimer's and MS and dementia, you know, and 
even I have some very personal friends of mine, actually, who have done some very deep emotional healing and lost all the weight that they've been carrying their whole lives. So we can't ignore this emotional component anymore on a physical level, um, but also, you know, at a, a mental level. Yeah, I've never thought about it from an economic perspective, but you're totally right. And I really enjoyed that, that uh, the answer to that because... I guess the human body is run in the same way. Like our brain is very, very good at being economic about um, how we use our energy and our resources and and the brain automates processes so that we don't have to use conscious thought as as fast as it can. And, and the example to give was something like, remember learning how to drive, you would change the gear, you'd be aware of putting the clutch in and pressing the brake and looking at all the mirrors. And then, you know, fast forward to a few years later, you'd, you could drive for an hour through a city and totally forget that you even just drove an hour through a city because the process is so automated. And I guess the body does that with with its inconvenient, uneconomical emotions as well. It's like, what is the quickest way through this? Automate the process. And that's why you end up, I, I think a lot of people do end up, and I can relate to this as well, is that you end up after your sugar binge, just sitting in that that gross kind of phase and being like, why am I here again? And that's because the whole process was economically designed for you to get through it without any awareness. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people really resonate with kind of blacking out in those situations, right? Like not really understanding what happened. And I embarrassingly enough have that happen to me when I drive sometimes like the, the route that you know, you're used to doing, you're like, how did I just get home? Like, what <laughs> um, but I love that analogy. But yeah, it's, it's very true. So I guess, what can people do to start dismantling their their habits or their, because I think a lot of people, yeah, do go through that numbing out and that blacking out phase. And then they just find themselves in the outcome that they don't want to do. And and it, there's definitely answers out there. Cause I think athletes and entrepreneurs are two groups of people that are very aware that you need to do hard, uncomfortable work for a long-term outcome. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously, you know, and the entrepreneur crowd and you and I both know, you know, they're all very invested in personal development and emotional man- management, whether it be meditation, whether it be, you know, making sure they go to the gym to manage their emotions. And it's taken me a few years to really learn that, you know, going to the gym is not just about getting ripped. It's about me releasing my, you know, let's quote unquote masculine energy and my testosterone and my aggression and stuff like that. And I understand it's more of an emotional management thing than it is necessarily a physical health thing. The physical health is just an amazing byproduct. Um, But I'm wondering what, for the listeners, what kind of tools or advice or suggestions can we give to people to start dismantling their habits and building coping mechanisms that actually uh, are beneficial? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love this. Okay, so yes, we've obviously just had a deep dive discussion around sort of why this is important to pay attention to. So, uh, so excited to dive into, you know, what you can actually start to do about this now. Like what's, how do you get through this? Obviously, I've done it. I've helped my clients do it. There is a way, okay? There are people doing this um, and healing through this. So um, first thing that that actually is just coming to me right now that I really want to point out is that um, just paying attention to the language that you're using as well. So things like even you right now, Maddie, using things like coping or managing or um, getting through emotions, like listen to the the verbiage that's showing up around you and also that you're saying out loud. Um, because that's part of perpetuating what we've been doing, these old patterns that we're, we're living. Uh, and you'll see a lot of people 
people talking about emotional health and it drives me mad because they're talking about how to, um, you know, how to quote unquote manage your stress or how to manage depression or anxiety, manage anxiety. Like it's this thing that you have to like control. It's this thing that you have to, you know, compartmentalize and put to the side so you can get through your day. Um, I just, I personally just cannot stand the language around that because it's really not supportive in, um, in understanding the opposite, which is what we're trying to do is that every single emotion is so vital and important for you to feel as a human being. Is it better to say like, how do you do depression or how do you do sadness? As if it's just something, you know, just another emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the 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 verbiage that I love to use is using the word process. So, like, how do you process stress, or how do you uh, process your anxiety, or how are you, you know, supporting yourself, in, you know, getting through your anxiety? Um, so, more things like processing and supporting. Um, those are words that I use a lot when I'm talking about it, and they're more, um, you know, open mind, open ended, and more supportive because this is the thing we want to start and this is going to take years, but I'm on a mission to, to get this done, but really start changing in our society, the, the connotation around these uncomfortable emotions, because for gosh, centuries, we've been really feeling and taught um, that they're bad. Like these feeling stressed and depressed and anxious. These are bad emotions. You shouldn't feel them like, yeah, yeah. suck it up. Um, and both men and women are taught this, right? So I want to flip the switch on that and, and help us all. And hopefully you listening to this now, you can start to do this for yourself. And of course, I'll share some more practical things that you can start to do, but really start knowing at a deep level that it is vital for your overall health to feel every single emotion that you're feeling not just the joy. Okay. I know we all imagine this world where all day, every day, we're nothing but pure joy, but that is not how life works. That's not how our human experience exists. And the sooner we can acknowledge that it's okay and it's healthy and it's important. That's, that's a good word. Okay. It's important for your health to allow yourself to feel all the feels, uh, the quicker you're going to be able to be healthy and to be happy and to be those those emotions. So obviously, if you're more, you know, if you're spending 90% of your day in depression, maybe there's some there's some questions to ask. But I every day I feel very uncomfortable emotions, they don't last long anymore, depending on the day, some days they do last all day. Um, But that's part of being human. And, and I've gotten to a point where I support my body in feeling those instead of stuffing them down. So um, I hope that makes sense. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. 
Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess the way in which we process our emotions each day, are are we seeking to be okay in feeling uncomfortable like is the is the idea to be able to sit with no input like as in no sugar input no food input no no and just experience the emotion until we're at the other side of it because i i thinking economically again that's we're potentially spending a lot of time and and it would be challenging to get people to commit to the amount of time they might need to spend with their uncomfortable emotions or or is the other thing to find mechanisms and processes in which we can actually have a healthy outcome, like go and binge on super healthy food? Or is is there something on the other side of it like that? Yeah, okay, I love that. So that's where I was definitely going to go next. So in terms of, I mean, I didn't even answer your earlier question, right, about how someone can begin to, you know, to build in these mechanisms and to, to build this emotional health that I'm talking about. Um, so the I'm going to start big picture and then get into some nitty gritty action steps that everyone listening can take. So big, big picture. And like, I mean, big picture in terms of like, this will take years. And I'm not like, there's, I know that I know your podcast, you're not, you're not promoting any quick fixes. This is not a quick fix. (laughs) Um, You know, this deeper work takes time. It takes time and it takes your commitment and it takes your understanding and patience and, and a whole lot of self-love. So big picture is to essentially, number one, become friends with your uncomfortable emotions. So just like you were saying, Maddie, you know, to find a way to be okay feeling those emotions, allowing yourself to feel them um, and becoming friends with those, which which sounds crazy, but it's possible. Um, The other piece of this big picture is building new pathways and habits for all of those connections that you have um, with those quote unquote happy emotions, right? We can't forget about the happy ones, right? The joy, the celebration. Um, so those are, are uh, from my point of view, definitely an easier fix because they're just about sort of building a new pathway, building a new habit. Um, you know, now when I celebrate, I do X as opposed to, you know, binging on cake, right? So um, that's for the happy emotion piece. The second piece of, um, and, and the last big picture piece with the uncomfortable emotions is once you've become friends with them, the next step, and only once you've become comfortable with them, and this is important, the next step is processing them in a healthy way. So uh, even just to touch on, on, you know, what your kind of, your last question there around, you know, is it, is it kind of transferring over into binging on healthy food. I don't believe that that's the solution. That could be a really great stepping stone. But the real solution is is getting into a place where you go inward to support yourself in, in processing the energy and those emotions through you as opposed to going outward for some other sort of source to help. Um, so going inward as opposed to going outward. So learning to process. And for every single emotion, 
it's different. And for every single person, it's different. So obviously you can imagine like processing depression versus processing anger is probably going to look different. So things like anger, like you were even mentioning, Maddie, like going to the gym is great for that. Anger tends to be more of a physical kind of, um, you know, emotion. So going out for a really hard run or um, taking up boxing or um, doing something really physical or even hitting a pillow, screaming into a pillow. This is my favorite technique for really actually releasing that energy out of your body um, in a supportive way. Um, so every emotion, and, and it's going to be up to you, you know, everyone listening and hey, you, Maddie, too, um, to really play around and figure out which emotions, um, you know, what supports you the most, depending on each emotion. Um, so it's going to take a little trial and error. You know, maybe when you're feeling really depressed, going out for a walk helps, but screaming into a pillow doesn't, right? So you're going to learn, you know, when different emotions show up, what helps. But the important thing to remember here when you are at the stage where you're ready to start processing, you know, because you've already become friends with your emotions, right? Now you're processing, um, really remembering to not be distracting yourself. So this can often, the line can be very blurred because, um, you know, someone could say, well, I'm feeling sad, so I'm going to go for a run. But on that run, they're going to put in this amazing podcast <laughs> and they're going to be listening to a podcast. So that's essentially, you are distracting, you're numbing out in that instance, you're getting out of your head and out of your emotional body and doing something else. So just being really conscious when you are processing to still stay in your body, stay in that emotion. Um, and this, believe you me, this takes practice, okay? Uh, this sounds simple, but it's definitely not. Um, but it gets so much easier over time in actually supporting your body and what you need. Uh, one of my favorite ways is dance, dancing it out, like put on a really amazing song in your living room and just shake it out. Um, often movement is, is really wonderful for a lot of the heavy emotions. Um, you know, in, in that form. So as you start working through this, um, th here's a couple things that you can really do to start. Okay. Because I just shared like a lot of very big picture. Uh, you know, I want you to know where you're getting to at the end of this, right? I want you to know what your goal is and then start where you are. So a couple things that, you know, if this is totally new to you, which I I'm willing to bet it might be. I know this is really new for a lot of people in, in really understanding this. Uh, the best thing that you can do is start building awareness. So first thing first, give yourself permission to feel, okay? Society has never given us the permission. Maybe your parents never gave you permission. Maybe your teachers never gave you permission. But right now in this moment, I'm giving you permission. And I want you to give yourself permission to feel, to feel, to cry, to feel angry, to feel depressed, all the things, whatever you're feeling. And, and know that it's important. So however way that you can do that, give yourself a permission. And then you're going to start checking in with yourself before you eat anything. So I love this. Just pause before you eat anything and ask yourself what you're feeling. And a lot of people, and I have had a lot of clients who actually, even that piece was too much because we've become so disconnected from our feeling emotional body, just the way that our society has trained us essentially in whatever your upbringing is, right? Um, that even that was hard. So if you can't identify an emotion, you know, say, you know, I'm feeling really stressed right now and that's why I'm eating, 
maybe you can identify a sensation in your body. Maybe you're feeling really heavy or tightness in your stomach or your jaw is clenched or, or maybe you're feeling really loose and relaxed, right? Um, so whatever terms come up for you, I really encourage you, like this is, this is ground zero. Number one, this is your homework is to start building this awareness. Highly recommend getting a journal and just keeping track, just making one note, you know, or two notes every time you eat. And over a week, you know, I guarantee you're going to start seeing patterns and you're going to start being able to identify, wow, I only ever eat when I'm stressed or I only ever eat when I'm bored. And these, you know, this awareness for you is, is life-changing because that gives you the baseline to start, okay, now I want to discover how can I process, you know, things like stress or, or anger or whatever your triggers are that are driving you to eat sugar you know, then you can start to have that discussion of how can I allow myself to, to sit with this and become friends with this emotion and not be afraid of it? Um, and, and then how can I support myself in processing this, right? In processing stress instead of, uh, you know, stuffing it down or distracting myself. So that gives you that baseline. This is why everything starts with awareness, right? And, and then you can start to really build on that. For the listeners too, um, Episode 65 of this podcast, I actually did an episode with a psychologist. She's a nutrition and diet psychologist, Stephanie Giorgio, and we did a mindful eating exercise on the air, on the, on the podcast. So, um, and it was very reminiscent of what you're uh, talking through, and it's very, very powerful exercise to do. Amazing, amazing. Go and, go and listen to that one, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, love, I love what you're doing here. And I find with my own clients um, as well, part of the, the journal that I have them fill out um, is, is literally identify the emotion, the location, and the food, and they have to put it into the journal. And, and it, mm-hmm. it all automatically goes into a graph so that you can start to see the, see the patterns appear of, yeah, I eat when I'm stressed. And just as you're saying, identifying over a period of time that, oh, I always eat this food when this experience happens is such a powerful point because then you can actually do something about it rather than being a victim to the process. Right. Which we're not. I mean, nobody listening to this podcast is playing victim anymore, right? Like we're all here ready to take personal responsibility and and to learn about ourselves and to improve our health and um, improve ourselves as human beings. And, And absolutely, Maddie, I love that you do that with your clients and like, we're just deep diving into this emotional trigger. But when it comes to like sugar and the work that I do with my clients, there are so many triggers. Um, and location is a big one. You know, people are is a big one. Um, situations, memories, events, like there are so many triggers that we deal with on a daily basis when it comes to, to food and sugar. And this is just one of them. This, this I feel is, is the biggest one for, for most of us. Uh, but I love that you have your clients go through that. Uh, I'd like to see you add a couple more things on there. There's so many triggers. Oh, no doubt. I guess that we could probably do another 10 episodes on this. Um, but definitely starting from the for the listeners, starting from a point of just beginning to acknowledge what is happening and finding patterns is a really, really great place to start. Um, and I know from my own experience that the, the useful thing that I found first was to just start to take responsibility for my part in whatever was happening. And so I'd be instead of being like, I'm pissed mm. off because and point my finger. I'm literally putting my arm up and pointing um, and being like, this this is the trigger. This is the problem. This is, and I'd stop. Like the first step for me down this journey was just like, what is happening for me? Like, why am I here kind of thing? Why am I in this situation? And, and I'd just 
go from a place of me, 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 not in a selfish way, but just taking responsibility and being like, what did I do to cause this outcome? Or what did I do to produce this re- result that then therefore had an experience that produced this, um, oh, I nearly said negative emotion, um, that produced this heavy emotion <laughs> <laughs> cut type thing. So I don't know if that's useful for people, but that's where I started and I found that really useful. And that was the beginning of me going right down the emotional rabbit hole because particularly for men and plenty of women too, I'm sure, but men are not given tools. And it's not not necessarily that we're raised by parents that don't know how to give us the tools. It's where the fact that we're raised by fathers and parents that weren't given the tools themselves. And so I think the internet era and the type of you know uh, chapter of history we're in right now is quite good in letting men express themselves and begin to feel okay and have resources and groups and and whatnot and build friendships based on truth and honesty as opposed to, I guess, the many, many generations before us. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love that you made that that distinction too, because, you know, we we do live in a society where, you know, it's it's more okay for women to feel than it is for men, right? Then and that's kind of shown in, in so many places. So I mean, there's difficulties on both ends. Like, I, you know, I can relate to being too sensitive, right? Like, I get called too sensitive. Um, you know, men did too, but we're we're not supported in this. And I think, you know, the first place for all of us to start is to really, um, you know, surround ourselves with people who can support us with that, uh, and and more than that, hold space. So, I actually want to. This just came to me as you were talking, Maddie. But like, I want to call out to any women listening. And remind you that as a gifted feeler and, you know, women, you know, tend to be more on that spectrum, I feel that it is our responsibility to actually show up and hold space for the men in our lives to feel safe to feel, to actually, you know, support them and let them know that it's okay that they cry. It's sexy that they cry. It's very strong and masculine of them to cry. Um, and actually having these conversations and supporting them. And I, I know I've done this in my own relationship and it's been life-changing for Ben. And I think as women, that's one of our jobs, you know, as we're naturally gifted and in, in being more sensitive and feeling that we can hold this space and let men know that it's a good thing, that it's not, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not something that we look down upon. It's something that's really attractive. I mean, I, I, I think this is this is a really important discussion to have and how we can show up and hold that space for each other and really, um, you know, instead of perpetuating this negative language around feeling that, that's going on. Um, and, you know, next time you see somebody cry, don't tell them to suck it up. Tell them, you know, that you're there for them if they need anything and hand them a tissue, right? Um, instead of telling them to take deep, deep breaths. I love that you're saying all of this. And it's, I, I think, um, kind, kind of in reference to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, how we're expected to behave and be happy all the time. I think there's that miss. Uh, interpretation of how we're meant to be in a relationship. It should just be sexual and amazing all the time. And you should, you know, you shouldn't be a downer because your partner will bring you down. And the relationship goes through, you know, ups and downs as well. And, and, you know, when a woman is providing, and I, I totally agree that that is the way to help men, a straight heterosexual men at least, um, feel safe because I think men don't feel safe in that space at all. Like, not just because of cultural reasons, but just inside their own bodies. So having a woman that you love and care about knows that you know that they love and care about you providing a safe space to not, you know, know that you don't have to be this sexy, amazing, strong man in that moment, you know, the socially 
perceived strong man is what I mean because it's obviously really strong to be able to sit in your uncomfortable emotions. Um, But I think, yeah, I think as a man, I'd like to really echo your sentiments in saying that, yeah, the women, if women can provide that space, I think that is the way to a generally more positive society overall because people will be okay with their uncomfortable emotions, men and women. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's on both of us to support that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's been supportive for you and that, that you echo that because here's just a thought that I have on my end, but I'm glad that you feel that too. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it in my own relationship. I very consciously decided to, to practice holding that space and, and using better language around him and letting him know that like, I want you to feel and it's good to feel. And, you know, how can I support you? in that, right? As opposed to, you know, I think a lot of men, you know, because of our society, right, feel embarrassed, or uh, like less of a man. And, you know, these sort of thoughts going through their head, if they are being emotional, or quote, unquote, sensitive, or whatever around a woman, even if it's someone that they've been with, or that they love and uh, have been with for a while. So I think it's up to us as women to show up and remind the men in our lives that that's incredible. And it actually, like, speaking from personal experience has very much deepened my connection with my partner because he's been able to open up in new ways that he's never has before because he's never felt safe to. So we've been able to connect on a deeper level and it's only benefited our relationship by connecting on a more deeper emotional level. Um, you know, and this could be in an intimate relationship or friendships as well. Like this isn't just intimate relationships, right? Like Maddie knows that I'm here <laughs> to hold space for him whenever he needs to. So, yeah, I was just about to say that there's women in my life and you are one of them that I do feel totally comfortable with, but disclaimer, a bit of a disclaimer. And what I mean is that just because women have the capacity to express emotion doesn't mean they've done the work either. So men can only feel safe mm-hmm. in the presence of a woman that has done the work. And after you've done the work, you can never ever date someone or be friends with like close friends with people that haven't <laughs> done done the work, right? And so it's one thing to say, you know, um, women should, and I said this, but it's one thing to say women should hold the space, but an experienced woman should hold the space. Because if you don't know how to navigate yes. a man being upset and give him space and not just be like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, like, then that, that's not constructive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so um, the few women and friends in my life, male and female, that I could feel comfortable in that space with are all people that have done the work. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good distinction. I'm so glad that you added that in. I missed that too. Very important. Absolutely. And someone who knows what it takes and is in the trenches with you, right? And isn't that one of the, one of the sort of the downside byproducts of deep diving into all this incredible personal work is you definitely begin to realize that you cannot be friends or have relationships with people who haven't done the work. Um, that's, That's a whole podcast for another day, right? Like I've had to, you know, let go of friendships that were not on the same path as me anymore, because it just, it just wasn't working because they weren't in the trenches with me. Right. And doing this, becoming introspective and, and, you know, getting out of victim mentality and getting into personal responsibility is a huge switch. And you can notice right away when somebody's doing that and when they're not. Um, and yeah, same, same as you, Maddie, like it's, I've noticed that big time in my friendships and relationships. Like I just can't do it with someone who hasn't put in the work. And so I'm loving this chat and I, I've, we need to do another deep dive on this, but where can everybody find you online? And maybe a little bit about the summit we've got coming up. Ooh, 
yeah. Okay, so a couple things then. You're going to make me jam-pack all of this in here. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. First, first things first, absolutely. April 27th is the big launch date. Um, I'm actually helping coordinate. Um, Maddie and I are both speakers on the Quit Sugar Summit. You can look that up at quitsugarsummit.com. Um, and it's a completely free full week of powerhouse interviews um, with some of the um, health and nutrition experts and gurus from around the world. Uh, our lineup this year is just incredible. So um, you can come and or come over to that website. I'm sure we can link it up in the show notes um, and get registered. Like I said, it's completely free and you can hear more from both Maddie and I, which is super exciting. So that's kicking off April 27th. Uh, and running for a full week. Awesome. I can't wait to do that. Yeah, I know. It's going to be so much fun. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. We're going to do a little bit of role reversal. I think I'm going to be interviewing you. I know. I'm excited <laughs> for that. I should probably think of some answers. <laughs> yeah, you should. Well, no, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing that I actually just wanted to shout out to, and then I'll share where everybody can find me online. Um, I do have a little free gift that I would love to share with your audience and anyone listening, because... I know that, you know, Maddie and I covered a lot of really deep information today. Um, and this can seem overwhelming. This, you know, this journey isn't easy. It does take time and practice and repetition. Um, and what I've actually put together for all of you is a three-part video workshop series that's going to help you take everything that we talked about deeper. Um, it's going to help you become more connected with your emotions and start to begin as we were talking about creating these new patterns so that you no longer, you know, jump and turn to food whenever you're feeling stressed or bored or anger or any of these heavy emotions. So that's what this work, this, this three-part series is. And I would love to gift it to your audience, Maddie, um, anyone listening that wants to go deeper, wants to learn more about this and, and just start um, deep diving into, you know, where your cravings are coming from and, and more action steps on what you can start to do to, to, to really, you know, rebuild your emotional health in this way that we're talking about. So that's a little surprise that I wanted to throw in there for everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much, Danny. That's super kind for you to offer that to the to the listeners. Yeah, I didn't know you were going to do that. So awesome. I'm so grateful. Um, and, I'm, and of course, I'll link everybody to your social media in the show notes below. Um, and as well, you know, some links to um, see us both on the, on the uh, summit as well, which will be awesome. Yes, yes. There's going to be lots of links below this uh, interview. So don't, don't forget to check them out. Yeah, you can find me at Instagram at Danielle Dame. Facebook, on Facebook, I'm at Danielle Dame Coaching. Um, and then DanielleDame.com is my website. So pretty easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. And for if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, share it in the um, in your story on whichever social media platform you like to hang out. Um, and don't hesitate to give the show five stars and a review as that really helps the podcast grow organically. And to wrap up, Danny, what is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? Oh, love this question. There's so many things. So many. I know. Keeping in tone, I guess, with everything that we talked about today, I just really want you listening to know that it is okay to feel. Like we've been taught it's not. And I'm here today telling you it's okay. And not only that, it's important for you to feel. Our emotional health lies at the root of our mental and physical health. Like we can't ignore it. And it starts with really acknowledging that it's okay for you to, to feel all the feels. 
So you have my permission, give yourself permission and, and see what comes out of that for you. Thank you so much, Danny. I really appreciate your time hanging out with me. Yeah, thank you. It's always such a blast. I can't wait for our next one. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, we will catch you on the next episode. See you, Danny. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.